I've always been the type of person where I, I'll, I will openly go and do all the extra hours that need to be done, whether I was a young cook, like young apprentice, young cook, surf to party, whatever. I was always that type of guy that I'd happily go in on my days off and all this sort of stuff, A, because I thought that was what was expected, and B, because I wanted to consume, I wanted to learn, I wanted to, but I've also had to have the hard lesson of realizing that that's also not necessarily always the best thing. Today on Dirty Linen, we are talking about the culture of hospitality, what it's like to work in the industry, what are some of the things that can be especially challenging. Our guest today is Ben Parkinson. He's the sous chef at Pippi's Kiosk in Albert Park or is it Middle Park, Ben? Uh, it's Albert Park. Albert Park there on Port Phillip Bay and a really lovely restaurant. We are speaking on a very nice sunny Melbourne day. Tell us a little bit about Pippi's to get us started, Ben. Uh, I mean, Pippi's, it's a small little 38-seater. We're situated right on the bay there. Uh, a very good friend of mine, uh, Jordan Clay, uh, opened it with his business partner, Tom Hunter, who I worked with Jordan uh, 10 years ago now at Pay Modern. Um, they got the keys for it sort of January 2020, and then obviously the world went to hell in a handbasket. Um, uh, I joined them probably seven, eight months ago. We're a little beachside bistro, essentially. We are specialised, obviously, in seafood, being where we are, and we have a little kiosk attached, so, you know, you can come and spend a day at the beach, and you can sit up at the wine bar and have some snacks and some drinks, or you can uh, have some fish and chips and sit out on the on the sand. Um, small little operation, but we're all pretty proud of it, and a small knit team. Yeah, so nice. Well, um, I think when I ate there, you probably hadn't uh, started working there, Ben, but I I think it's a lovely restaurant. I think uh, something that Melbourne could do a lot more of is eating right on the bay. We do hug the bay, but we don't seem to embrace it with our restaurants. And I think what Pippi's doing, it's, uh, yeah, like really approachable, but really thoughtful food. And I've I've been sending a few people there recently for, uh, you know, special occasions or they're just wondering where to eat. And everybody has absolutely loved it. So, congratulations on what you guys are creating there well thank you very much i'll make sure i pass that obviously on to the guys um as yeah it is you know without trying to be cliched it is obviously largely a team effort um and uh yeah i mean i do agree i've lived on and off in melbourne over the years and it's always been one of those funny ones that the bay is so readily available to everybody but there's few sparsely situated places around it that you can actually go and and dine relax and unwind and enjoy it for everything it is yeah, I think you're right. So um, you reached out to me, you know, just we've been chatting on Instagram a little bit about uh, the world of hospitality and, you know, what it's like to be in the industry for, you know, for a long time to make it your life as you've done. I'd love to learn a bit more about you. Can can you tell us? Yeah, just, just tell us the story, Ben. Uh, I'll dial it down, you know, I'll make a Cliff Notes version. Uh, started in the industry when I was 14, while I was still at high school. Uh, just kind of fell in love, fell into it as a school-based traineeship. Was just looking for a part-time job, but didn't want to work at Macca's. Um, kind of fell into it and just fell in love with it. Finished school, moved out of home, start my apprenticeship, uh, on the Gold Coast. Did my apprenticeship there for three years, uh, Palazzo Versace, then moved to Melbourne because I had friends move down and I was always also just looking like, you know, Gold Coast, love it or hate it at the time, you know, back in 2009, 10, 11, there wasn't necessarily as much going on as there is now. So I was, you know, 20 something looking for what's next. Moved to Melbourne, did a couple of years here in Melbourne, uh, then went to Sydney, did a couple of years in Sydney, went to France, Belgium, England, back to Oz. Uh, and yeah, sort of, you know, uh, traveled quite a bit and you, that's one of the big things I love about the industry in a way is, uh, it's, 
it opens doors, it opens the world, you know. Um, but in saying that, you know, I've seen the great side of it has met, given me the opportunity to meet amazing people and travel, but I've also seen the unfortunate side of it. Not of them has always been rosy. I myself have, you know, burnt out or, you know, definitely faced the, the pointy end of the stick a few years ago and went into therapy and, and sort of clawed my way back somewhat. Um, you know, it's taken me a long time to sort of come to terms with open, openly talking about that. Um, you know, I was just working 70, 80 hours a week. I was pretty isolated from uh, friends, family and all this sort of stuff as I was working overseas and just down the rabbit hole. And obviously, you know, being somewhat of a much, you know, macho-based industry as well, I stupidly and naively thought the way to get through, you know, being run down and, and being a bit burnt out was obviously just to keep pushing on, as the industry says, you know, is, is just to keep at it and just keep going for it and you'll get through it and that's not the way to do it. Um but I was quite fortunate that I had some good people that I was working with who kind of recognized the signs and kind of said, you know, and had that difficult conversation has sort of said to me like, Hey man, like we, we think you might want to look at, you know, getting some, some professional help, you know? Uh, and they were very supportive of that. And it sort of helped me get back on track. Um, yeah. I've also seen, unfortunately, self-harm in others in the industry. I've seen, physical violence inflicted on people i've seen you know like without bringing the conversation down uh i'm crucially aware as to most people are i think of my generation of cook um i'm not that old but just uh, at the tail end of sort of the old school we've seen the good the bad and the ugly at times ah uh, 30 so as i said i'm not not that old but i kind of feel like i'm kind of on the end of the old school mentality type thing and we're all trying to push to yeah i mean <laughs> well once i got out of brisbane it was definitely uh you know the world was my oyster for want of a better term and i just went after it yeah gosh you've said so much in such a short period of time your cliff notes are, are really packed <laughs> so um let's pick some of those uh strands back up so it's really interesting to hear that you know you you your um, colleagues identified that you were showing some signs of burnout. What was it do, do you think they saw? Uh, without going into too much detail, uh, it was almost lighting the compost heap on fire and not realising I was doing it. It was probably a, a large-scale one for them. Um, we had a uh, uh, two acres of property that we we're growing all our own stuff on and all that sort of stuff. So I think that was definitely one of the signs, but it's also they knew me, had known me for a couple of years before we kind of worked together as well. And they just sort of said, you know, like the, you're not the same person, you know, you, you used to be the guy that came in with like 3 million ideas of things you wanted to do and to learn and to try. And now you're kind of just coming in and a bit distant, detached and just sort of always grumpy. Um, and I think I was fortunate because obviously they were in a position where they'd known me for long enough that they could kind of identify the difference in behavior and the difference in who I was. Um, and one of them also did study psychology at university. Um, so, you know, they had a bit more of a potential sort of inside line on the uh, the warning signs, but they were just very aware of the situation and were sort of sat me down and had that hard conversation. And it, as silly as it sounds, I didn't really see the forest for the trees, you know, uh, until they sort of said to me, hey, we are, we want to help you out, you know, like we want to help you and, you know, you've helped us with our business, so... They did, they did, you know. 
And so, I mean, what did it feel like for you? Like what, what was it like from the inside to be that guy setting the compost heap on fire? <laughs> almost. I need to specify almost. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, look, I can look back at it now with a bit of hindsight and a bit of clarity and I can identify that I wasn't the same person, you know. Um, but at the time, uh, I didn't necessarily blame everybody else, but it, there was a, definitely a lot of like external or me thinking it was all externally based, if that makes sense. Like I didn't sort of attribute it to me not looking after myself and not making enough time for myself. It was more I just kind of thought, either you know i wasn't good enough or i wasn't working hard enough or you know i i stupidly and naively thought that those were the ways to sort of fix the way i felt you know which was just as i said just to keep pushing on and keep doing it and that that just it sometimes you know like i will say in this industry sometimes yeah you do just need to push on but nine times out of ten that's not always the answer when it comes to bigger picture stuff like this it's such a tricky balance isn't it because as you say, you know, there's, you're in this culture and the culture, you know, whether silently or overtly speaks to you about, you know, what needs to be done. Um, but it, it, it can be quite hard in that scenario, especially, you know, as a, as a, as a young chef who's, you know, there's a hierarchy there to, to really make a stand and say, no, I need to carve out certain things for myself. Yeah, it's it's definitely a hard one, but I think it's definitely changing. There's definitely great people in the industry now uh, that I know of and obviously that you're probably aware of that are making sure that, you know, their guys are looked after and that they're only doing, you know, 40-hour weeks and that they're prioritizing their their staff and their, and their people, you know. And I think for all the detriment and all the horror that COVID has brought the nation, the world and our industry, there are sort of some flip sides, you know, and people will probably even hate me for saying this. There are some good things which are coming out of it, which is especially in this industry, people are realizing that we need to stop and smell the roses for want of a less cliched term uh, a bit more and be aware of that with our staff or, or with the people and friends and colleagues that we work with, you know, because at the end of the day, I know myself, you know, if you have that time away from your job, even if you love the job, you're you're always better at it when you go back to it, you know. Dedicating nine hours a week to something sometimes can be healthy and amazingly beneficial, but majority of the time it's not because if you're giving 90 hours a week to your job or to any any pursuit, it means you're not dedicating time, whether it be to yourself, to your partner, to your family. That You're always losing it somewhere else. Yeah, it's so interesting because I reckon, you know, some of the things that I've heard from, you know, old school chefs who wear those 90-hour weeks and all the, the hardship and the, the shoutiness as, almost as a badge of honour, um, there is also this idea that, you know, they were they learnt so much, you know, yes, it's it's really tough, but you cram in the learning as well. But it sounds like, you know, from your experience, what you're saying is that there's other ways to, I guess, get that knowledge or achieve the finesse. Absolutely. I mean, it's an interesting career path because especially in the kitchen, there's some things that you can't learn until you do it. The more you do it, the better you get. It's a craft in some forms, you know. However, I can see, and this is going to sound a bit silly, but I can see in my lifetime or in my experience in the industry, right, when I was first starting out as an apprentice, YouTube was barely a thing. Instagram didn't exist. Facebook was barely in its infancy, right? Whereas an apprentice chef this day and age, 
you know, we've got one at Pippi's and then, you know, he's a great, great young apprentice and he works incredibly hard. But I mean, I'm kind of envious in a way of him because he has the ability to, if he wants to learn new techniques, learn ideas, you know, like you can go on YouTube and type in almost any cookery technique you want. And I guarantee you there'll be videos and explanations about it. You've got the internet at your fingertips. So there's easier ways to get that knowledge and to consume it and, and to learn. And then you can almost use your, 40 hour week to actually put that into practice if that makes sense like there's just there's more there's more bows in the string this that age for a young cook to be able to to learn and and progress than than there was 10 20 30 you know however long you want to go back yeah it really does make sense, Ben. Actually, I've never really—it's never really clicked for me in that way of the way the the way that the internet can become that sort of tool that actually helps achieve work-life balance. I suppose you know we're always thinking work-life balance means getting off screens, but there is actually so much learning to be done on screens as well. Absolutely. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, in some industries, definitely, you know, like, I don't know, I've never worked in any other industry, but if you're an investment banker, sure, getting away from your screens might be the best thing for you, you know, but if you're in hospitality, which is largely a interpersonal job, career, and you spend a lot of your time, you know, actually on your feet and physically doing things within reason, potentially screen time, you know, there's probably people out there that hate me saying this can be a good thing and definitely can be an amazing learning tool. You know, because you can be put in contact with other people via social media. You know, you can see a chef doing a technique on his Instagram page and a young apprentice can ask him questions about it. Or, you know, I saw a couple of weeks ago, Renee, you know, Red Zeppi commented on a post from a guy in the States who was talking about doing a dish. And Renee was like, hey, I don't know if you should be using those because they're actually poisonous in Northern Europe, you know. So... Yeah, but it turned out it was okay. It was a slightly different variation of a plant and all this sort of stuff. But it, I'm just trying to highlight the fact that there's so much more ways to connect and to learn and to grow as a young cook or young waiter or in any form of the industry outside of just pushing on. Yeah, that's really, really interesting. I think also, you know, you mentioned uh, mental health and I think people can also connect to, to the benefit of their mental health. There are so many resources online and people that are speaking about, um, you know, mental health challenges. So I guess there's also that. Absolutely. I mean, the amount of apps there are this day and age, whether it be uh, Headspace or, you know, I'm pretty sure Beyond Blue has one or there's so many different ways you can connect with others or ways you can connect with mental health professionals that makes it a bit easier and I mean it also makes it easier for once you get into a position of sort of management or or hierarchy because it also gives you tools to help learn to what to look for and how to help you know uh, contribute and lead your team without being unaware of that I mean no one teaches you how to lead a kitchen it's it's not part of your TAFE apprenticeship last time I checked you know, and I know that might sound sort of silly and, I, and I've worked with some people over the years which definitely have contributed to teaching me leadership directly and emphasize delegation and all that sort of stuff. But no one really teaches you that once you get to a certain level, you're responsible for making sure everyone's okay, you know, and, and checking in with them and, you know, making sure that you're creating a work environment that is actually fun and enjoyable, not just for yourself, but for others you know, and that comes with experience, but also surely there's definitely something we can 
do as an industry to maybe better that and become a resource or something. I don't know. It's something that's kind of struck me, obviously, in the last couple of years, stepping into senior roles, that there's a bit of a lack of teaching or, or not necessarily teaching, but a lack of sort of guidance when it comes to chefs taking senior roles. Because unfortunately, I know myself that when you get into those senior roles, you will have those moments where unfortunately you will lash out or you, you will yell at someone or whatever. And then you'll hate yourself after it because you're just like, I don't want to be that guy, but because that's what happened to you, it doesn't excuse it, but it's almost your automatic response because it's been so ingrained into you. I'm not trying to condone it in any form, but I I'm guilty of it. You know, I'm not going to lie and say I haven't. Um, but it's how do we how do we break the mold so that we can just continue to develop an industry that actually attracts people to it as opposed to people living in droves like they currently are? Yeah, look, I really hear what you're saying. I mean, and it does seem like perhaps in some larger organisations where there are deeper, taller management structures, there might be an opportunity to have, yeah, like training manuals or more mentoring or perhaps, you know, that time that you can take away from the daily daily grind to to learn leadership skills, for example. But in the small businesses, which is what most restaurants are, it would be really hard to carve out that time to just learn to lead. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, some people say the easiest way or the best way to learn to lead is doing it. But I definitely feel like, you know, you learn to drive a car, you don't just get in it and do it. You know, you get some instruction and you and you do your hours and, and you, you know, you learn that way. You're not just told, oh, yeah, you know, here's the keys, you know, go for it. Absolutely. And I think especially when you're leading young people, it's so easy to turn someone's life for good or for bad with um, – you know, fantastic or poor leadership. And as you say, you know, people are leaving the industry in large numbers. It's hard to attract people into hospitality. You know, every every person that's in there, they're so important that they get nurtured and given the best opportunity to succeed. So I feel like learning leadership on the job without, you know, great mentors yourself can be really damaging. And I'm sure, you know, when you've, I guess, had those really tricky experiences that have sent you to you know to some some hard places to to then feel that you're not being the best version of yourself must be must be really quite devastating at times yeah I I mean it's it's definitely a hard one to deal with and uh, you know I've worked in places where physical violence for instance is not necessarily condoned but it's uh not necessarily deterred uh and that's obviously an extreme example of it but I feel like what I'm trying to say in, in referencing that is the fact that, yeah, small businesses, you know, in Australia, internationally, wherever they may be, uh, let's maybe keep it to Australia, obviously, for this conversation. But you're in a position where as a young cook, and I've got some friends, obviously, you know, across the country that are in obviously similar roles like I am. And I've talked to some of them and, you know, I was talking to one of them recently where he said he was in a similar position where it was obviously nonviolent, but he kind of was in a position where he turned around and lashed out and yelled at one of the younger cooks. And at the end of the night, he was just sort of sitting there just like, it doesn't help anybody. Like it didn't even make me feel better. It didn't achieve anything, you know, but it is a high pressure job, but I feel like we can't use that as an excuse because, you know, a surgeon is a high pressure job and you don't see them yelling and screaming at, at the nurses or, you know, the person they're performing surgery on. 
Well, actually, I have read some <laughs> some pretty full on articles about the hospital system. So let's not let's not put surgeons on too much of a pedestal. It probably happens in every industry, but I really I definitely hear what you're saying. I can assure you I won't, as my mother uh, is a nurse and has been for all her life, and you know, all done all this sort of stuff. So I can assure you, I'm, my eyes are well and truly open. But uh, just trying to, you know, sort of use that more as a uh, example of, you know, high pressure uh, environments yeah. don't always have to be yelling, screaming, and using the high pressure of it as an excuse. I just feel like that's a, a scapegoat almost. Yeah, a hundred percent. It's not an excuse. It's just what do you do with those, with that pressure? How do you uh, release it or use it for good um how do you use it how do you how does it become a teaching moment for you know for the the leader and the person that you that's perhaps you know um set something on fire ben you know you mentioned that you had some therapy when um things weren't going so well for you in england i mean is there anything that you learned in that that's helped you go forward Absolutely. I mean, it's all very personal, obviously, and it's all very down on person. But I mean, I, I, I've always been the type of person where I, I'll, I will openly go and do all the extra hours that need to be done, whether I was a young cook, like young apprentice, young cook, chef to party, whatever. I was always that type of guy that I'd happily go in on my days off and all this sort of stuff, A, because I thought that was what was expected, and B, because I wanted to consume, I wanted to learn, I wanted to – but I've also had to have the hard lesson of realizing that that's also not necessarily always the best thing. And so me having to put some self-imposed boundaries on myself to make sure that I actually then look after myself better – but one of the big things I learned at least was also recognizing sort of not trigger points because I don't like the connotation, but noticing behaviors of mine where I recognize and go, okay, you know, I'm, I'm looking at this or looking at that. I need to uh, take a step back or, or, you know, sort of run or, or I, you know, cycle or do whatever I do to sort of refresh my headspace. Um, so unfortunately, it's not necessarily tips that I can sort of hand out to people or, or tell you that would work for them. But one of the biggest things was all kind of just being able to identify more changes or, or being identified occasions in my, my life that I'm like, hey, okay, I'm dedicating way too much time to this or, uh, you know, not reaching out and talking to friends in, you know, a couple of weeks and then them being like, hey, uh, have you dropped off the face of the earth? And it's like, oh, yeah, I kind of, I kind of, I kind of have, and, you know, using that as a bit of a check as to say, well, you know, I can take a step back. And did you find, you know, when you were able to take that step back that you realised that there were things you were interested in in the world that you hadn't even sort of noticed or thought too much about that you know things other things opened up for you oh a hundred percent um i've always been quite physically active or tried to be outside of the industry but obviously as anybody in the industry will tell you it's pretty consuming and to try and keep some type of training regime is uh is pretty difficult but it's kind of like i've now started like bouldering for the last year and a half um and it's completely outside the scope of hospitality but i've been getting into that which i love too because when you're hanging on the side of a wall you can't have your phone on you you can't you know like you you're completely for want of a better term at one with the climb or the wall you know there's no distractions there's no anything which i really enjoy myself and helps me keep sort of on the straight and narrow i suppose um but exercise has definitely been one that I've definitely enjoyed more uh, and just reading more that's not 
hospitality based and just engaging in uh music and and as silly as it sounds just picking up hobbies a lot more uh once i kind of had that moment and realized to take a step back and realize that taking a step back can actually be a largely positive and beneficial for myself and for my job and my workplace yeah, no, it doesn't sound silly at all. It sounds really fantastic. And can you point to any ways in which having those broader interests and activities has helped you in your career as a chef? Uh, it's connected me with some people as largely. I know, especially in Sydney where I was, there's a large community of chefs that all like to boulder and climb. Uh, and it's kind of funny, you know, you'll be at some of the bouldering gyms on a Monday morning and it's almost like the who's who of cooking in Sydney at times. Um <laughs> which is kind of amusing but it's almost most of them don't talk to each other because everyone's there trying to escape hospitality so everyone sort of waves or nods but that's the end of it um but i've also just noticed my own creativity has largely improved because i'm not constantly thinking and stressing and worrying about the job because i am switching off and and going into and being involved in other pursuits or, or just life, I suppose, um, that when I am at work, I'm more focused when I'm thinking about, you know, engaging with Jordan and, and Tommy and the guys, you know, like I'm a lot more switched on and just sort of energized about food. Whereas, you know, if you met me a couple of years ago uh, and asked me to sort of, you know, do a dish or come up with something, I would have been absolutely brain dead and wouldn't really have been able to contribute much at all. Wow, that's so that's so transformative, isn't it? It's incredible. It also makes me think that when you do have these outside interests and, you know, you, you, that your mind's working in lots of different ways, that you would have a different perspective. Like if there is a crisis in the kitchen, that perhaps you would, um, you know, have more personal resources at your disposal to just, you know, take that deep breath and, and handle things in a way that you'd be proud of later. Oh, absolutely. Um yeah, I, I feel like having, as I said, I feel like if you commit to 90 hours a week of doing something in the short term, it can be hellishly beneficial. I mean, you look at artists, musicians, you look at that sort of spectrum of people that dedicate, you know, whole months of the year or, or whatever to whatever they're pursuing, and it can have absolutely superb outcomes. But if that then becomes the norm of your life, I feel like that's sort of the slippery slope where it starts to become negative. You know, when you when sure you're dedicating such a time and effort and energy to doing something, but with that moment you start saying to your partners, your family, whatever, oh, sorry, I can't make it to the family lunch or to grandmother's birthday or to whatever it may be because you're so too focused on that one that one direction that you kind of lose sight of everything else and therefore you're losing sight of actually why you do the job, what you love about the job because you're just too you've got the blinkers on, you know, and it just, it isn't beneficial for anybody. Yeah. I know we're talking pretty big picture, which I think is fantastic, but there's one thing that's been happening in the industry recently that I'd love to touch on. And I reckon perhaps it's related. The C word? Yeah, the C word. Is that COVID? For this conversation, sure. But uh, yeah, I mean, COVID's a funny beast. I mean, you talk with the guys at, at Pippi's and you talk with anybody that's opened a venue in the last couple of years, you know. I mean, I don't think anybody opening a venue, let's say, you know, the start of 2020 thought COVID was going to be have to be something they would have considered. You know, I think most business owners opening venues in 2020 were probably thinking like, hey, wage costs, staffing, you know, the usual sorts of things. Not how am I going to navigate a pandemic, which I mean, in Melbourne, you've had it horrendous, <laughs> to, to put it bluntly. 
I got down to Melbourne, isolated for two weeks, came out of lockdown the day you guys got out of isolation, the day you went into number four. So that was fun. Um, yeah, but I, as I said before, it's definitely dealt a lot of blows to the industry and it's unfortunate to see all the places that have shut and all the people that are walking away from the industry and the desolation that it's caused. Um, but I'm hoping we're now getting to a point where there's some kind of roadmap out I mean, no one really has it, but I'm hoping people are sort of having an idea as to how to continue to move forward um, and also how to sort of be proactive and positive in the mindsets of looking after their staff. And and, and when I say staff, I mean their people, their friends, their colleagues, you know, um, and looking at bigger picture things. It's why I kind of am talking about bigger picture things because they're – What's important? I mean, COVID has, I know of businesses that have shut. I'm sure, of, you know, you're well aware as to businesses that have shut or that have had hard times or, you know, people that have lost everything because of it. Um, but I will say, you know, in this country, we definitely seem to be quite resilient with it. You know, I've got friends overseas where, you know, they haven't, a friend of mine, a very good dear friend of mine, hasn't worked in the restaurant that he was head chef at for two years because they haven't been able to reopen it. You know, and he's working for one of the other restaurants that the uh, that they own. You know, and he's obviously still busy and still working. But the venue that he was was running and was doing very well, he they haven't operated for two years because they can't get the staff to fill it to open it. And this is, you know, this is in Paris. This isn't some rural restaurant overseas you know this is a huge metropolitan city yeah that's really devastating what do you think ben about like it's obviously omicron swept through australia and it's been hard to avoid encountering it but it concerns me that there's been almost a normalization among hospitality staff of of getting covid and of course you know it's no one's fault when they get it but i feel like not every business or every um worker thinks that it's worth trying to avoid it yeah it's a funny situation i myself know of some friends and and things like that that have been in workplaces or been in situations where uh people in their restaurant have gotten it or they've had to shut for a couple of days or you know and there seems to be a lot of sort of blaming that person for getting it and it's like this person, it's it's not like they went out and, you know, said, hey, you know, to, to go and do this. So you can't really hold them accountable for it. Um, so I think there's definitely that side of the spectrum where we just unfortunately, yeah, it, unfortunately, you know, the, it is going to go through venues. We're an interpersonal business. We're an interpersonal industry. You know, we thrive on exactly that, welcoming you in, welcoming you in and, and feeding you and, and looking after you and being hospitable. And so that is hugely uh, I mean, for want of, you know, I'm not using the word six times in a row, uh, interpersonal in itself, in its action. You know, it's a direct uh, response. So it's going to sweep through the industry first and foremost before it does in other in other industries. And unfortunately, there have been some cases that I've known of or people I've been talking to that have been sort of told to not go out of their way to get it, but, you know, hey, you're shutting for a couple of weeks, guys. You know, maybe now would be a good time for you to for you to go and get it. And I'm like, what? Your employer, your, your employer can't say that to you. 
And they're like, oh, they meant it as a joke. I'm like, mm, yeah, but the fact that they're saying that to you, that, that doesn't actually mean, like, no, they're, they're not joking in some form. They're being serious. Um, thankfully, the person that that friend of mine was, uh, she's uh, subsequently then left that employment. Um, so, <laughs> you know, she's in a better position now. But, uh, yeah, it's it's definitely, as I said, it, it kind of comes back in the conversations you and I have had previously that push on attitude is kind of, resurfacing and you know it's like oh you've got you've got covid or you know you'll be out for a week but oh maybe you can come in and do a couple of days or whatever it's like no no this industry we're entitled to sick leave right you know you're in, you are entitled to these things all because the industry for a long time made you think you weren't and and definitely pushed that that diatribe of like oh if you can stand you can work uh i've definitely had that happened to me and a funny story i got yelled and screamed at when i was out sick many many years ago as an apprentice and i came back from being uh sick and off for probably about a week and doctor's certificates and all this sort of stuff and on my first day back at work i was taken to the cool room and absolutely uh abused for doing so um but you know that's a long time ago now and it's fine um yeah well as i said it was a you know a long time ago and that is the industry that it was you know um but this day and age, it's, you know, if, if people have it or people get it, it's okay, just let us know. You know, like we'd, I, I, I think at least I would much rather be working with people that, hey, they're, they're honest and they tell you, hey, you know, <laughs> I've done a rat test, I'm positive, I can't come in. It's like, thank you. Because in, in my way of looking at it, it means the business, we can take steps to check us to make sure that we're not, you know, positive and then we can continue to run the business which means we can continue to pay your sick leave which means we can continue to look after our guests which means we can all continue to do what we're doing i think if those messages aren't coming through from you know leadership in restaurants to all staff then that that restaurant is failing in its duty of care not only to its staff but also to its diners uh, and it's yeah very troubling um you know I, I know myself you know where we are at, at pippi's you know we've got rat tests on site for all staff, you know what I mean? If there is a really that case that they start feeling a bit so-so, you know, that we're able to deal with it and act accordingly um, without to put a microscope on us. But, I mean, you know, we're pretty – we're a small business. Uh, you know, we hold 38 people. We have a staff, I think, of maybe 15 to 20 at most. So for us, it's like we'd rather everybody be working together and sort of say, hey, I'll be out for a week than, you know, the whole business goes down and I don't want to talk too much obviously for the business as it's it is not my own um but Tommy and Jordan have been very very uh uh, very on board and and very sort of leading from the front uh, throughout this whole situation of wanting to look after the staff and through the lockdowns everyone's been looked after uh we've been fortunate that we had the kiosk window to trade through you know so we were able to stay open in some form the whole way you know so we're fortunate that with those two guys leading the business it's it's very sort of family centric and and we are a small tight-knit team that want to look after each other you know but i know in bigger places and bigger venues you know that i know of places that whole whole groups of or whole arms divisions you know three or four venues of restaurant groups have shut down because they've all caught covid and they've kind of all been told well that's not good enough and it's like well what do you mean that's not good enough um yeah, guys, it's a pandemic. Um, it's it's great to hear that you're in a place where uh, things are things are done properly, Ben. Um, look, it's been really so valuable and interesting to hear everything you've got to say. Is there anything else that you would like to talk about? 
Not that I can think of. I just, I just, you know, want people to continue to support hospitality in whatever way they can. You know, whether that's going to your local cafe and grabbing a coffee once a week, or whether that's dining out. I mean, uh, we're an industry which we're resilient and will continue to bounce back and will continue to be here. Um, but I don't think sometimes some people realise how much of a difference that can make to a business. You know, we're fortunate where we are. We've got a very good group of regulars which come and say good day, and you know, we all kind of know very well because we're a small business, which is amazing. You know, and and it's delightful to have that. But I know there's other little cafes and stuff near where I live that you know I go and support, eh? Because you know I need a coffee in the morning, otherwise I don't really function. Um, but it's uh, not being on the other side of it. It's nice. You understand how nice it can be when you see those regular people and you go and support other businesses, and it doesn't necessarily seem like much, but that can be the difference with some places. Uh, between keeping the lights on and paying the staff and, and moving on. Absolutely, yeah. We're, we all have the power to make a difference. Um, I certainly think that you have made a difference in this conversation, Ben. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on Dirty Linen. Thank you for coming to the table today. Cheers. Thanks. You have a good day. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you.